1: everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today. Uh, you and I are both parents. We've got kids in the high schools, in the junior highs. You also have one in elementary school, right?
2: I do have one as a fourth grader and a sixth grader and a freshman.
1: There you go. I have a senior and eighth grader and a seventh grader. So one of the things that is... Uh, really bubbling up right now. You're, you're reading this online all the time is, uh, this idea. You see these school board meetings going on where parents are kind of, some parents are kind of going crazy, uh, just being very kind of outspoken. Uh, then you have, uh, kind of offshoots of this, but really underlying a lot of this is this question. Uh, what should the relationship be between your public school system and parents? Uh, Hmm. What role does administration and teachers play uh, in crafting curriculum? And do parents have any role or any right even, if you will, to speak into this? And some of this is getting really nasty. Uh, Read this article the other day. 26 state school board associations, including Illinois, by the way, uh, have distanced themselves from a national school board association that called parents, quote, terrorists. Oh, my. Uh, Yes. And so this got a lot of craziness going. Uh, But also underlying this, Aubrey, is the um, the idea of critical race theory, the idea of history. Uh, What is the history that our kids are going to be taught Uh, for us as Christian parents? It's a lot of ideas about sexuality and a lot of this. What are the cultural norms that that are taught within our school systems? Right. And the idea is this Uh, at NBC News. They said this schools face parents. Uh, who want to ban critical race theory and don't get how teaching works. This was an op-ed that basically said no parents, uh, that that an educator, they go on to say that the educator's goal is to teach students to think. Parents who want to dictate curriculum with their personal opinions, ideologies, and biases hinder that goal. But Aubrey, let's be honest. Nobody is doing this from kind of a a neutral standpoint. To just say we as educators want to teach our kids to think – that's not true either. So for a lot right, of us parents, right. it feels like there is this been this switch to being kind of worldview cultivation within the public school, and we want to push back against that. So Aubrey, that's a lot. It's uh, a long way to get to this point. What role do you believe that you as as a parent should oh. speak into what's being taught at the public schools that your children go to?
2: I know this is this is actually really tricky because I. I guess I do think as a parent I get agency over my own children. So I think I should have a role. Um, I should get to use my voice. That's part of what it means to be an American. Simultaneously, I have chosen to send my kids to public school. And and I ah, I can't in my own in my own mind I'm not going to homeschool my kids. So, if I want total agency, that would be the, that's the game, right? Or that's the choice is I take my kids out and they're in, they're homeschooled by me. That's not going to be an option for me. I love you, homeschool families. I love you, homeschool parents. I think you're amazing. I have total respect for you. So, that's not a judgment against homeschool families. I think they're amazing. That personally won't work for me and Kevin and my personality, to be honest. Um, but then, I guess it does mean if you're if you're a little bit hands off with your kids in public school, you just have to have a lot of conversation with your kids about what they're learning, and um, and even though the school maybe gets to decide the curriculum, you still as a parent have the right to talk to your kids about them, help them think about the other nuances and say to the teacher, I'm not comfortable with this. I'd like to see something change or I want to pull my kid out. But I don't know. This is complicated, Brian. What do you think? Uh,
1: it's it's hard because I, like you, I send all three of my kids to the public school. And um, if we're really honest about it, why do we send our kids to the public school? Yeah, it might be because uh, you want them to have a well-rounded this or this. That. Truthfully, Aubrey, you and I probably... I don't want to speak for you and Kevin, but I, I don't I can't afford to send my kids anywhere but the public school. So really the option becomes between um, you know public school or homeschooling. We're not right. going to homeschool our kids right. for many of the same reasons you brought up. and so right. you do live in this. I've never been a wow, I'm scared of the public school guy. Mm-mm. There's some things being taught right now and discussed that do worry me I know, as I watch I my yep. kids. Yep. And so you don't want to give complete agency and just go, well, it's the public school. They get to do whatever they want. Right. Because they are forming, they are not just. Informing, they are exactly. Forming. They
2: are absolutely. And
1: I am a first. I will be the first one to say, "Well, you as the parent, you ultimately have the role at home, but don't forget how long our kids are in school for.
2: They're like, in school a lot of hours during the day, a lot more than they're at home with us during the school year, for sure. And so
1: I read this op-ed in at NBC News, and let me just read the last paragraph of because right. I do believe this is really troublesome. Okay, uh, it says this: the future of our country and world are sitting in today's K through 12 classrooms. And those children will eventually become adults in a world requiring their empathy, passion, intelligence and engagement. Ready for the next line? Parental interference in school curriculum is poised to accomplish the exact opposite. Oh, shielding students from real world issues and diverse perspectives will create bubbles that will render their children ill prepared to navigate society, particularly when they are called upon to contribute and think critically. Here's how I would push back on that. My kids are not necessarily being given a well-rounded. Uh, th- all right. The next time they're taught a quote unquote Christian worldview and Christian will yeah. be the first time. Right. So exactly. Let's just be honest that our schools have a our public schools have a bent to them but I think we as parents at least have to know about. So Aubrey, do you, here, let me also be very clear about something. I love my kids' teachers. This kind of rises, this kind of goes above the teachers. Uh, But Aubrey, with that said, what do you do to keep connected to your kid's school? What do you do to know? What do you do to encourage and stay connected to teachers?
2: I mean, you know, you can certainly be in communication with, teachers. You can be on a uh, parent, whatever the parent teacher association, whatever your mm-hmm. very school district calls that you can be, you can, you can actually try to get on the school board. Like there are lots of ways that parents can be very involved in schools. Mm-hmm. And again, you can use your voice. You can talk to your state representatives that are making curriculum decisions. Like there are lots of things parents can do to raise concerns to talk about things that they feel like are are harmful. And again, at least in my experience in our public school, this may or may not be true of other districts. You can pull your kids out of certain classes or of That's certain right. curriculum and say, you know, we're actually going to cover this aspect at home or we're going to cover this aspect in a different way or whatever. And the schools are honestly very willing to work around parents who are even doing like a partial homeschooling or, oh, we don't want to use that curriculum Uh, goes against our faith beliefs, okay, they're not going to push you. And so I I think there are ways we can really, really get involved where we aren't rather than just pulling all of the Christian kids out of public school, which I don't like that either. But I I will say this. I don't like like saying that parental inter calling parental involvement, parental interference is problematic because then we're getting in one of those sort of dictatorship type systems Mm -hmm. where the government just only gets to say what our kids learn and we have no voice. That's not okay either. That's Mm -hmm. not, that's not what we've built the schools on in America. But I, I also agree with you, Brian, that I don't think my kids have ever learned a Christian perspective necessarily Mm -hmm. on something. And so, so uh, are you all, are the school curriculum, is it being totally empathetic, passionate around every faith? No, it certainly isn't. And we can't be blind to that as Christians either. Um, but again, I think there's some there's some bridges to build before just like pulling your kids out in anger.
1: Right. I think that's well put. I think ultimately we as parents at the very least need to know, do the work to know what our kids are learning. And yeah. Being taught. yeah. Uh, and raise your voice when you think it's necessary and don't mm-hmm. hesitate to do so. We'll come up next. Uh, The executive director of a a wonderful ministry called Naomi's House is going to join us. Her name is Simone Halpin. Uh, As we talk about commercial sexual exploitation, Aubrey, she's going to tell us about the Chicagoland area. And the the statistics will blow your mind. We're going to do that next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Frob, and Aubrey and I are thrilled to be joined by the executive director of Naomi's House, which is a ministry of Moody Church, just doing unbelievable work. That uh, executive director, her name is Simone Halpin. Now, Simone, how are you doing today?
3: I'm great, you guys. Thanks for having me.
1: It is such our pleasure, Simone. Uh, Usually we have guests introduce themselves, but i actually like you to take some time to introduce Naomi's house. What is it and why is it such an important ministry right now in the Chicagoland area?
3: Oh, you bet. So uh, Naomi's house is made up of several programs that are comprehensive services that offer hope and healing to women, adult women who have suffered from commercial sexual exploitation, or in other words, they're victims of sex trafficking. And so we started Naomi's house five years ago. This is perfect timing to do this interview with you guys, because we're a week away from celebrating our fifth anniversary. Oh, that's um, awesome. yeah, we, I know we're we're it's like, I can't even believe that it. it's been five years. It feels like Five million years. Um, we started our first program five years ago, which is which still exists. It's a residential home where women move into a, a residential home that we have here in DuPage County eight women at one time go through our program. It's between 15 and 18 months long. Um, But since starting the residential program, we have launched a day program and also what we call independent living. And then our newest program is what's called drop-in services for women who are still in the life of forced prostitution or sexual exploitation. So we've grown over the last five years in exciting ways. That is so fantastic. I, I love
2: hearing, on all that you all are doing. Um, I think here's here's maybe a question just tagging on to what Brian said. I'm sure there are listeners going, wait, why do we need a ministry like this in Chicagoland? There's no commercial sexual exploitation or trafficking in our area. Can you talk about some of the statistics?
3: Sure. Um, so we started Naomi's house um, because there was a statistic that just... You know, will blow anyone away, which is roughly twenty four thousand women and girls are sexually trafficked in the Chicagoland area every year. Mm. And at the time when we started Naomi's House, there were less than you know a dozen beds for women to go long to a long term place to heal from that trauma. And so that's why we started the the ministry. But since we've been doing services for for these years now, we've learned that that number is probably grossly underestimated. And that the women that we've served and walked alongside of will tell you that there is exploitation and forced prostitution in every single community, in every single hotel that we, um, you know, that are in our areas, in our community. It's not subject to just one location. And so um, once we started the ministry, we have gotten referrals, not just from the Chicagoland area, but literally from all over the country that's really what inspired us to continue to grow our services and offer as many different programs to women um, who are looking for healing.
1: Mm, That statistic is staggering. What does commercial sexual exploitation, what what does that even look like? Who are the people, who are the women who are most in danger? How is this such a booming business?
3: Mm -hmm. So it's when a person makes a transaction with another person and the the commodity, if you will, that's being exchanged is a person. Um, and so it's when a buyer sets up a transaction with someone who is selling a product. And so the products that are being sold are women and girls um, and men and boys, but we obviously serve women and girls in particular. Um, and there has to be some sort of, from a legal perspective, there has to be force fraud or coercion used in that transaction. So oftentimes women are, um, set up in these situations where they think that they are pleasing a boyfriend or someone that they think loves them and cares for them. Um, and in order to please them, in order to maintain that relationship or in order to um, just receive the basic necessities of a place to live or food um, or care and love, they have to sell their body in order to maintain that relationship.
2: I know these are obviously private stories and you want to honor privacy and and the sacred nature, but I wonder if generally speaking, could you talk a little bit about um, what are you seeing in the lives of the women that you've been working with at Naomi's house?
3: Yeah, well, it's a complicated journey for the women that we serve. And oftentimes we see trends in their lives that are risk factors, things that make them more vulnerable and susceptible to being lured into a romantic relationship with someone who has the intention of selling her for sex. Um, so when a woman moves into our program, what we're doing is we're trying to understand her entire story, her whole. Um, her whole journey as to how she got involved in this situation in the first place. And then what is it she needs in order to heal um, and to reintegrate back into the community in a safe way. Uh, So we work with her on abuse that she suffered as a child. um, Anything that has kept her susceptible to dependence on a trafficker, like substance abuse, um, lack of education, lack of a stable family. Uh, We work through all of those things with her so that she slowly starts to rebuild the foundation into which she can stand on. And so when she graduates from our program and has um, an opportunity to, to move back into the community, be around safe people in a community that loves and cares for her, she is standing on a, a, a foundation that is secure and knowing that her vulnerabilities have been reduced and she can actually live out um, the life that God has intended for her.
1: Mm. And Simone, I know you guys do a lot of work with local churches mm-hmm. and uh, with the community. Someone's listening to this right now going, mm-hmm. I want to be part of the solution, whether they're part of a church or just um, an individual. How can people um, team up churches and individuals? How can we team up with Naomi's house to be part of the solution and be a help here?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, we need three, what I think are very specific things. (laughs) First and foremost, we need people who want to walk alongside um, the women who are in our programs. And sometimes people are intimidated by that, but I promise you, you will fall in love with the women that we serve. They are the strongest, most resilient, um, most amazing women um, that I have gotten to know in the last several years of doing ministry. So if you're interested in learning about that, go to our website. We have volunteer opportunities posted there. Naomi's house.org and we'll walk you through finding the right, the right and the best fit for you. Uh, We also need people to come along us financially. It's the end of the year. We have giving Tuesday a week from tomorrow. Um, If someone wants to make a donation to support our services, we are always looking for that. Um, We we need financial partners as well. And then last thing, we need prayer warriors. We need people who Mm -hmm. believe in the power of prayer and know that healing comes from prayer. um, Support comes from prayer. Um, We need, Prayer against the enemy who is always out to kill and destroy the works that we're doing. And so um, if that's your calling, you can email me directly at info at naomi's house.org and I'll talk to you about what that looks like and how um to join our prayer team who faithfully prays and lifts up the ministry of Naomi's House.
2: Oh, fantastic opportunities for us to get involved. Simone, thanks for that. And I I wonder with the last couple minutes we have left, if if our listeners maybe um wonder, oh man, I, I, I'm i seeing this girl and I, I think she might be involved in something. I'm not sure. Like, What are some of the signs that they should be looking for? And then what should they actually do as a follow-up?
3: Yeah. Well, for, I'll start with the second question first. The follow-up would be, first of all, you can contact us and we can put you in touch with law enforcement or other agencies that can open an investigation if there is something that looks suspicious. But the signs are um things that that maybe aren't as direct as as we would think um, because relationships that happen with trafficking a lot of times are online um, a woman is thinking that she's in a romantic relationship with her trafficker so it's not maybe as obvious as we think it is so my encouragement for that is to get involved in communities and in through your church where people who are under reach and under service are looking for people who will walk alongside them and just love them for who they are and where they are. And that alone being a part of people's lives who maybe look different than our own is going to make a difference in reducing the vulnerabilities of someone who is susceptible to trafficking.
1: Mm. Again, Simone Halpin is the executive director of Naomi's house. You can learn more about Naomi's house at Naomi's house.org. That's Naomi's House. Simone, uh, wonderful ministry you're doing. Hopefully people will kind of partner and go to the website. But thank you so much for spending some time with us today.
3: You bet. Thanks for having me, guys. Have a happy Thanksgiving.
1: You as well. You as well. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today. We say this almost every day on the show. You and I are both pastors, so we believe strongly in the local church. And a couple months ago over at Crossway, there was a conversation around this topic by Jonathan Lehman titled, Dangers for the Churchless Christian. This idea of being a Christian who doesn't go to church who isn't a part of a church, and he wants to speak to what he sees as the dangers of it. Let's listen to a clip of Jonathan Lehman here.
4: The danger of a Christian separated from the church is twofold. First, not being a part of a church and not engaging with the church means our discipleship could be misshapen. That's the first danger, right? So Christian growth is church growth. Our discipleship to Christ should take a church shape. Again, like think about a body part connected to the body. Everything about what it means to be an arm means being connected to this body, and, and so it is with a Christian and the church. So if you try to grow as a Christian apart from a church, it will be misshaped. The second danger I think is even more grievous, even a little more scary, and that's is, that is the possibility of self-deception. It's possible to think you're a part of the body of Christ when you really aren't, right? It's possible to think, yeah, I know Jesus. I follow him. But the Apostle John says, don't say you love Jesus, but you hate the brother. Don't say you love Jesus, but don't want to have anything to do with the saints, right? And be around them, committing yourself to them, letting them inconvenience you, even as you share your life with them. So one, we can our discipleship can be misshapen. Two, we can be self-deceived. The Christian needs the body of Christ.
1: All right, Aubrey, he highlights two dangers, uh, discipleship. It could kind of become misshapen if we're kind of out on our own and self-deception. Right. Uh, right. What do you see? We could tackle what he sees as the dangers, but especially coming out of COVID, as some people are not reengaging with the local church. What do you mm-hmm. think are the dangers of a Christian who's, quote unquote, churchless?
2: Um. You know, I'm going to give an anecdotal example here and not to throw anyone under the bus, but I'll just say there is someone in my life who post COVID, they have decided not to go back to church because they like their Sundays. They like their quiet time to go for a walk or to go to breakfast. The things that all of us are like, yes, we understand that. Here's what I'm watching. I am watching them be misshapen. I am watching them begin to, to follow all kinds of very worldly philosophies and cultural ideas and sort of say, hey, I'm a Christian, but I'm also going to uh, follow these things that are that are really not Christian. And it's happening. I mean, I'm watching it happen. And I keep challenging my friend. Hey, just, you know, it's OK to be curious, but come back to come back to the church where at least mm-hmm. you're going to be formed by Jesus, because the reality is we are going to be formed, period. That's right. Right. Do we want to be formed towards Christ in Christian community or is the world going to form us? And I, I'm i am frankly just seeing that happen very blatantly. And it's, it's kind of heartbreaking, to be honest. So we yeah. need, again, we say this all the time on the Common Good. Our faith is both personal and communal. We need each other in order to move towards Christ together for the long run so that we are um, shaped by the things of God and not by the things of this world.
1: Yeah. And first of all, tell Kevin he's got to get back to church. It's part of it. <laughs> but I would say this, I would say no church is going to be perfect. If you're looking for the perfect church, you'll never find it. Mm. And uh, the old funny saying goes, if you're looking for the perfect church, you'll ruin it when you join it. <laughs> and so That's
2: good. That's no good.
1: church is perfect. They come with frustrations. They come yeah. with nu- uh, nuisances. They yeah. come with uh, they're It's a collection of people. Totally. But but you said the important point that that the Christian faith is never meant to be done in a vacuum. It's never Mm -hmm. meant to be done on an island by myself. It was never that way in the very beginning. You've constantly seen throughout history the joining together of the saints, the joining together of the Christ followers uh, to remember, to to partake in the sacraments, to remember, to preach the gospel to one another, and then to send one another out and to help build one another up. And, and Lehman here is right about misshapen, um, theology and doctrine that we're going to begin believing things like there, there's going to be, you, you said, it you're going to be shaped by something, whether it be mm-hmm. cable news and social media, the church, uh, this philosophy of your neighbor, whatever else it might be. And so you need to be together with a, with a, um, collection of other individuals. And you say, we're going to journey together. We're going to help each other understand you. We're going to remind each other. We're going to hold one another up. And it's that possibility of self-deception. Aubrey, I need to be a part of a church to be reminded also of my own depravity, of my (laughs) own sinfulness, and my own need for Jesus. Like the story you tell, and I'm not suggesting necessarily that your friends are this way, but in that story, I could see how easy it would be to go, man i'm smarter than those church people mm-hmm. i'm yeah. smarter than them and i can just you know do my own thing and i can i can kind of above them i kind of understand philosophy better or theology and you get this kind of self deception and uh yeah so aubrey the person who's been um they are actually not a part of a church right now they're like ah, i'm not sure i buy it what what would you tell them how how would you kind of uh, instruct them going forward
2: Yeah. I I, I mean, I, you know, this is what I always kind of say here. Yes, I get it. Like it is easier in a lot of ways to not go to church, to avoid other Christians. I enjoy it. My weekends are nice and, you know, all of those things. Yes, yes, yes. I affirm that at the end of the day, this does go back to something that we've talked about on the common good before, which is at the end of your life, um, do you want to have loved God and loved your neighbor? Well, and, and, If that is what you want, if you're like, yes, I want to be someone known that by loving God and loving anybody, I want to have experienced intimacy with God and experience true, authentic friendship, then that happens in Christian community. And so I would just encourage you, you know, sometimes it does, you get out of a habit and it's really easy not to go back. And then it's really easy to kind of fill in, even in your mind, to fill in that gap with just like, oh, those church people, blah, blah, blah. Maybe just try going back. And then try going back the next week. And I, I think what, in my experience, every time I'm back at church on a Sunday, I'm like, oh, it's so good to worship. It's so good to remember how good God is. Oh, I needed this. I needed the sacraments. Mm-hmm. I needed. And I think you'll find that your soul is actually very refreshed. And you might even find that you are way more hungry for church experience than you realized you were. Um, and so I would just give it a try. Give it. New Year's coming. Start fresh. Give it a try. It will only be good. It will only go well with you in Christian community. I'm not saying it'll be easy. I'm not saying there won't be problems. I'm not saying there won't be pain. But I'm saying at the end of your life, you'll be glad you chose to follow Jesus in Christian
1: community. Yeah, and I know for me in the last couple, even just months, the last couple of weeks, I've had moments where people have done things in our church, whether selfless things or prayerful or whatever, that have challenged me and encouraged me. Mm. Like, oh, my gosh, look at them. That encourages wow. my faith uh, to, to press forward and keep going. Those are things we can't do on our own. Well, coming up next, one of our favorite pastors and author, author Scott Salls, uh, he's written another blog post, and it's called this, Hope for All Sinners, Even Me. Why is it important that we address our flaws? We're going to talk about that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey friends, welcome to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, I'm Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us as we look forward to the Thanksgiving holiday. It is coming. We hope that you have a great Thanksgiving. We also know that family holidays can sometimes raise a lot of bad things. And uh, so know that we are we are praying for you. We hope that, you know, maybe you find some healing over these coming days. Uh, so looking forward to Thanksgiving. Uh, Aubrey Scott Sauls, if you've ever been a part of this show, you know, he's somebody that we respect greatly. Mm-hmm. Uh, pastor, author, blogger, tweeter, speaker, all the all the um, things that he does. He wrote recently this. He wrote Hope for All Sinners. Even me, and this is classic Scott Sauls because he constantly writes as a well-known pastor about how aware he is of his own shortcomings, how aware he is of his own yeah. sinfulness, yeah. and he speaks of them often. He's he just says them, doesn't about, he? Yes, that's right. He speaks about his own shortcomings. Arby, let me start there. Why do you believe it? Why do you believe it's important, especially for pastors and leaders, to be aware of their own shortcomings? Uh, but let me ask you the more difficult question. What do you think about a pastor like Scott Salls who's regularly talking about his own shortcomings?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I really respect it because I think what, especially in this day and age, we can so easily put pastors on a pedestal. And, um, you know, that's to no fault of their own. But sometimes it ends up being a fault of their own. And that causes all kinds of devastation that we've seen in the church. And so I think from the start for a guy like Scott Saul's just to be like, look, here's who I am. I need Jesus as much as anybody else. Then we, we can't really put him on any kind of pedestal because he's saying, look, I, you can, I mean, he's saying you can't, right? He's not setting Mm -hmm. himself up as someone who is outside of the need for God's grace and the Mm. need for God's forgiveness. He's not setting himself up as someone who has arrived in a way that the rest of us haven't arrived. And what I appreciate about this is it ends up really pointing you back to Jesus and not pointing you back to Scott Sauls. Like there's something very refreshing. And I feel like all of us need to be just really a little more, a little more real about who we are. And even in when we encourage people towards Christ, um, to do so in such a way that is – I don't, there's something about the self-deprecation that adds authenticity, I suppose. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say.
1: That's a well put. He goes on to say, he goes, I get road rage. I get irritated with people who eat a little bit too loudly. Uh, amen to that one. God, <laughs> that one I think about money a lot more than I should. I find more satisfaction in the praise of people than in the grace of God. It's not uncommon for me to enjoy hearing the sound of my own name more than hearing the sound of Jesus' name. I can be selfish, cowardly, conflict the first. He keeps going on and on about uh, some of his own shortcomings. I fear the future as much as I trust God for the future. I love his last week. He goes, sometimes I cuss. Uh, but Aubrey, listen to this line. Then he writes, he says, okay. I am a man who lives by fear as much as a man who lives by faith. When I see Jesus on the cross crying out, my God, why have you forsaken me? I often think to myself, my God, why haven't you forsaken me? Wow. So he, he spins that. He goes, I don't often wonder why God hasn't forsaken me. I wonder why or I haven't wondered why God has forsaken me. I wonder why hasn't he? I look in the mirror and I see all of these things, uh, you know, that I see as non, you know, non-godly, right? Like I'm going in the wrong direction. And I, I wonder why is it God turned his back on me? All right. Let's just be honest. Is that ever a question you wonder about in your own life? Like, God, why are you still faithful? And how do you answer that question for yourself?
2: I mean, I feel like it's a question I ask more than I wish I would. You know, in fact, I feel like one of my big flaws is that I'm constantly asking that. Like, like, God, do you, that my version of it is like, do you still love me? Do you still approve of me? Are you still sure about me? You know, and and I, I don't like that I tend to go to that sort of despairing place, but I think that's also, also like a moment to preach the gospel over yourself. And mm. what I love about what Scott Sauls does is he takes all of this and he ends up saying, look, encouragement comes from knowing that even the greatest heroes of faith were also flawed and broken, wrecked, weary, restless, and sometimes tortured sinners, even at their spiritual peak. He asks, aren't you relieved that those you respect most in the faith also have shortcomings? He brings up Isaiah, Paul, Rahab, Martha, men and women with deep abiding flaws, all of them an incomplete work in progress, whose less flattering features remain with them until their dying day, Mm -hmm. even as they journey toward ultimate and everlasting perfection in Christ. I think this is what we have to remember. Like. This is the journey. And, and and none of us is gonna get to a place where we're like, Now I've made it. Yeah. Now I'm like Jesus. That this is part of our whole life's journey towards Christ. But because of the promises of God and because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, there's hope for us. And I yeah, we just need to like we've said before the past few weeks, we need to keep gospeling ourselves in these in these moments, in these doubts.
1: Let me take it a different direction. Let's take okay. the I'm going to, I'm going to create a phrase here. Let's go anti Saulsian here. Okay. Let's go <laughs> the other way. So persons listening right now, they don't struggle with, uh, why uh-huh. has God not forsaken yeah. me? They don't, they don't struggle with how can God love me? They're op- They're the opposite. They're yeah, going, that's good. Hey, I'm awesome. God is yep. lucky to have me. What's yep. that? How is that equally or probably more so dangerous? And what's the answer to that?
2: Yeah, I mean this is sort of the big brother and the little brother question, right? From the right. the parable of the prodigal son is that the problem is both brothers are lost in the story. The one who does think he's awesome and has been faithful and and good and like is amazing and there's nothing wrong with him and the brother who, you know, wasted his father's wealth and destroyed his, uh, heritage and all of that stuff. Like all of us have to come to Jesus at the end of the day. And what we used to say when we did youth ministry was like, even the kid who like gets all the trophies and has straight A's and is the class president. And even the kid who's like doing drugs and has a terrible family, everybody has to come to Christ. Like we have to let go of those things, whether it's achievements and awesomeness that we think are defining us and realize like, Oh wait, I'm just as broken and uh, depraved is this person over here i need a savior as much as somebody else so the gospel is is an invitation for all for all of us those of us yes. who like love ourselves and we don't think we need god and those of us who hate ourselves and wonder why god could love us
1: yeah it, the way you put it earlier that for those of us who don't believe that god can love us we we have to gospel we have to gospeling is the answer right we have to gospel we have to preach it to ourselves the same is true like you just said for the older brother who's going I've I've done everything God has asked. I am I am beyond the, like I am uh, killing it as a Christian. Look at all these mm-hmm. other people who are failures. Mm-hmm. It's the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees yeah, going exactly. at least I'm not like them. Uh, and and when you ask what is the answer to that, the answer is the same: the gospel. Uh, but yeah. you need to grasp more the bad news of the gospel that apart from Christ <laughs> yeah. we are all lost. That the wages of sin is death. That that we are all hopeless apart from the gospel as opposed to, well, that person's hopeless, but me and God, we're good. Like I'm, you know, I've kind of transcended the gospel. You never transcend your need of the grace of Jesus mm, Christ, right? Good. We never yeah. transcend that. And so that's why I'm thankful for Scott Sauls. Let me read to you just how he closes his blog post. He says, how awful and despairing it would be if the valiant, self-sacrificing, heroic disciples of Jesus Weren't also screw ups just like us? Their failings bring me almost as much comfort as the promises of God, because if there is hope for busted up sinners like them, then there is also hope for a busted up sinner like me. You're listening to the Common Good.
2: everybody. Welcome back to the Con Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co host, Brian Fromm. We're so glad that you're with us this week. And, Brian, we've got some holidays coming up. Thanksgiving coming. is almost here. Uh, Christmas is almost here. New Year's is almost here. And I don't know, Valentine's Valentine's is almost here too. It is officially the holiday season, which I love, by the way. Mm. I love oh, the holiday how can't you? season. I mean, so, so enjoyable. You know what I don't love at the holidays? Turkey? Well, yes, that is true. (laughs) But I really don't love family, drama, and conflict. I don't like relational pain at the holidays. And the reality is there is a lot of relational trauma all around us right now. We know, you know, conflict is, you can't avoid conflict. Conflict Mm -hmm. is part of what it means to be a human being. But somehow... The holidays heighten some of the conflict and the pain we feel. And, you know, we could do a whole, probably a whole show about that. But I thought we could jump in uh, to some do's and don'ts of engaging relational conflict over the holidays. And uh, our friend Jen Pollock-Michelle, she's been on the show before. She's a friend of mine. She was writing over at her blog, which is called Postscript. And she offers some do's and don'ts for us. And here's what she says. She says, look, I'm not going to pretend that conflict can be solved by a formula of quick and easy steps, but I'm also going to say that there are some things that we can do. And so she offers us some do's and don'ts. Um, So Brian, let me, let's, let me think about how we'll do this. Why don't I read you one? I'll share one with you and then you can just respond to it. Okay. All right. Here's a do. This is a good one. Oh, I'm already convicted. I haven't even shared it yet. Here it is. Do make it your habit to overlook offenses. This isn't always Mm. possible, and it's not always the best policy, but it's a pretty good rule of thumb. When you can, swallow your tongue.
1: Mm. That's a hard one. You you started it by saying this is a really difficult one. Yeah. Uh, Because... Again, there are some offenses that aren't to be overlooked, but sometimes we allow annoyances to be mistaken as like grand grand offenses. Mm-hmm. That if we just go, you know what? That's so and so. That's how they're going to be, right? Like, uh, mm-hmm. let's be really funny and like like you know small about this. Yeah, I know so and so in my family eats really loudly. And I'm going to uh, (laughs) choose to show them grace and not make a big deal of it. Right. And then it keeps going up the spectrum. There does come points where the offenses are raised to the level of it's unhealthy to overlook them. Of course. But not every battle needs to be fought, especially around the table with all the other family around. And so, yes, make it your habit every when when appropriate to overlook offenses.
2: Yeah, I think that's that's really good. And we know from scripture, we are told not to be easily offended. So you can put this into practice on Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever holiday you're facing. All right, here's another one. Do listen first. Don't presume you understand another person's perspective or another person's pain. Ask questions before you assign blame. And don't just do this as a kind of perfunctory step. Pretend to listen when you're mentally rehearsing what to say next. Instead, see how you can genuinely believe. I bet there's something I'm missing here. What do you think about that one?
1: I didn't hear anything you said there. <laughs>
2: <I'm
1: just kidding. laughs> uh Yeah, uh, I struggle with this one in the sense of I, I like to think of myself as a good listeners, but listener, but usually, oftentimes, I'm listening in order uh, to respond.
2: Right. And, exactly.
1: Uh, it's And in the hard part, kind of doing a radio show has gotten me used to that more and more. Mm. Like when I hear you talking, I have to be like, OK, what am I about to what say? What am I what say am next, That's say? so
2: true. That's so true.
1: And so we do that in uh, like, you know, if you have a problem with, you know, your aunt or someone say at, at holidays and you're just like, nope, I'm listening to what she's saying, but I'm just doing it so that I can refute her or I can do this. This is a great one in marriage, right? Do you only listen to your spouse and what they're saying so you could tell them why they're wrong? Mm. And tell them how they need <laughs> to change. Like actually listen for the sake of listening as opposed to for the sake of rebuttal.
2: Yeah, that's good. That's really good. All right, here's another one. I love Convicting. these these are all so helpful. I know don't involve yourself in other people's conflict.
1: Yes, please we all. yeah, this one's <laughs> really
2: good. We all like our cheering sections when we're in an argument with someone else, but try to resist being drafted. Uh, I, I think this one is really helpful. If someone starts arguing or having a conflict, you can just like walk out of the room, go sit someplace else.
1: Yeah. You don't have to accept every invitation, to every battle. Right. And yeah, so, yeah. Uh, you know, if this is between two other people in your family or in your friendship circle or whatever else, let them, you can give advice, you can, uh, step, in, but you don't need to fight people's battles. You got enough of them going on yourself. So uh, be a peacemaker. might be another way to think about this. Uh, look for ways to bring about peace as opposed to inflame things. So yeah, don't, don't, don't accept every invitation to every fight.
2: I love that one. That's so good. Okay. I'm going to read the final few and then you can just choose one to respond to. Okay. Do exercise the courage to engage conflict directly. Mm -hmm. So, uh, If you want to, you could say to someone, look, I felt hurt by something recently. I was wondering if we could talk about it. That might be helpful before you're getting together as a family. That way the air is already cleared. But here's what Jen Pollock michelle says. It might be helpful to add something like, I don't want to just dump all of my hurt on you. I'm hoping we can work together. I know there's things I can be working on, too. That's lowering the temperature, she says, of conflict. Then she says, don't accept responsibilities that aren't yours to own. You can draw a clear circle around your responsibilities. I think that's really good. Do understand that your responsibilities are broader than you think. This one's really interesting. The Bible says, make attempts to resolve conflict in cases where you think you've been sinned against. The Bible also says, make attempts to resolve conflict when someone thinks you've sinned against them. So that's a good word for all of us. She says, do value something more than being right. Value the relationship more. Value the unity of the body, the witness of God's people. And then, this is a hard one, do love your enemies. Conflict is not always resolved, but we're still called to love those who don't love you. Are any of those stand out to you, Brian?
1: Uh, I think the the value something more than being right. That being the relationship, uh, mm. we live in a world right now where we are conditioned to always have to be right, have the last word, have mm-hmm. the, the uh, and sometimes it comes at the sake of the relationship, especially right. if it's over something big enough or it's right. something that you guys all you know both people believe strongly enough. Sometimes it's important in a marriage, in a friendship, in family setting to go. Okay, actually, what do I? would i rather be right in this argument and lose the relationship or maintain the relationship and not be wrong but say hey you we're going to agree to disagree here or yeah. um I, we're not understanding each other whatever i think that's a powerful one because yeah. a lot of times uh we don't value relationship above all else and, and and you can't always value relationship above all else but my guess is there's a lot more times that we should than we actually do how about you which one which one did jump out
2: um, you know, I, I actually think the one that the one that stands up stands out to me is not accepting responsibilities that aren't yours to own. Because I can tend in conflict to be like, "You're right. I'm so sorry. I I should never have done that." And and sometimes I do that, and I haven't actually done anything wrong. Now there are lots of times I have. Don't get me wrong, but there are a lot of moments when I tend to just like take on the other person's shame and not and then. Uh, I tend to carry shame, but then forget that I have agency in it, too, and forget to say, oh, wait, actually, that might be something that's happening with you that has nothing to do with me. I tend to just take everything on and assume, I don't know, I'm the worst. I'm so, And in that sense, I can almost make myself a victim in a way that's really unhealthy. And so I think that's a good one for me. Like I, I like how she said, you can draw a circle around your responsibilities and tend to those. In fact, you need mm-hmm. to. But you also don't have to tend to what's outside of that circle of responsibility. And I think that's freeing for a lot of people and can help you when you want to see yourself as a victim or a martyr, actually like have a bit more empower empowerment. So I really, really appreciate Um, these words of wisdom from Jen Pollock, Michelle, as we head into the holidays. Well, speaking of the holidays, uh, we're going to talk about some things we can be thankful for, mm. even if we're not feeling thankful. We're going to do that when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And one of our favorite things to do is to end the show. By sending away with something inspiring, encouraging, or challenging, and I thought this would be very appropriate for Thanksgiving. Brian, how do we uh, do some Thanksgiving when we're not really feeling very thankful when the emotions yeah. aren't there? But we know we need to be thankful, or we're at least invited to be thankful on Thanksgiving. And mm-hmm. I, I, you know, you and I could just talk about a few things we're thankful for. Then I also found this great list of of. Uh, inspiring things we can be thankful for. One, I would just say it's it's worth mentioning that we have so much freedom in this country. We have the freedom to talk about God. We have the freedom to have different opinions. We have the freedom to explore nuance. And that's something I'm very thankful for that I get to do with you, Brian, every day here on the Common
1: Good. Yes, you do. I just love this list you gave uh, at this one website. It goes, It starts things to be thankful for, family. And number two, carbs. <laughs> like, <you're> like <laughs> Okay. I mean, okay. carbs
2: are good. Carbs are good.
1: And we could go through some of this list or the other thing yeah. to be grat- have gratitude about. But what I love is this idea that not everything has to be like this huge – like I'm – it's what we joke about, right, when we do uh, – um you know, grinds my gears. Like it doesn't need to be these huge things. Sometimes yes. you just have to look at the small things, right? Like, yes, I'm thankful for my family. Yes, I'm thankful for salvation in Christ. Those are all big things. Right, right. Yes, I'm thankful for my health at this moment, but I can also be thankful uh, for, you know, a very specific uh, moment. I could be thankful for, uh, you know, the, an iced tea at Dunkin' Donuts I get every morning mm, uh, and just yeah. how much. You know, I enjoy that. Like you can be thankful for huge things and we should be, yep. but you can also be thankful for the little things. And I think that's when we start to really grow an attitude of gratitude, attitude of gratitude. Attitude gratitude. I,
2: to I like that. I almost said a gratitude, but that's already a word. So that wasn't that fancy, <laughs> but it sounds like it could be. All right. So I do. I appreciate that, Brian, because I think some things I'm thankful for are like sense of when people laugh. I think laughter is a huge thing I'm thankful for. I was with some girlfriends over the weekend and we laughed. Like, laughter is good medicine. We laughed our bellies off. I love That's that. That's I'm grateful for um, Hallmark movies, which are cheesy <laughs> and terrible, but I love them. Yes. Um, I'm thankful for the colors of leaves. There are some other things in this article you mentioned. You can just research any article, honestly, on reasons to be grateful. It'll give you some things to think about. But um, that holiday spirit, crisp apples, pumpkin recipes, flowers, pumpkin patches. I know, turkey, you like... You like turkey. And then this one, I like this one. Tiny hand turkeys. I saw that Just, one. I love that. Just a reminder that there are little kids in your life that are making little tiny hand turkeys. That's so yeah. sweet. Best friend, delicious warm drinks, all kinds of things. But the, the point, like you're saying, is we don't often have to overthink our gratitude, right? right. Like um, it, it, it doesn't. I mean, I, of course, let's stop and say thankful that we have the food that we need and, and thankful for the freedoms in this country. But I appreciate what you said, Brian, that sometimes it can just be like um, the ice tea I get every day or the fact that I have a nice bed that I enjoy or my, my favorite TV show right now. Like right. we can practice thankfulness in small ways and in big ways.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, there's some other ones you think of like uh, I just am thankful for sports that I can shut my mm, brain off and watch yeah. a game. And we live in that sort of world. I'm thankful that I could turn my television on and there are lots of options. There are lots of different things. Here I thought of one. I'm thankful that both in my house or at my church or this and that, I have a thermostat, uh, that I can turn the heat up and it feels like a warm blanket is on that I'm not sitting and shivering. But then instead we could just go, oh, that's really nice. I enjoy that. You know what I mean? Like I love that heat, but also the air conditioning when it's really warm, when it's really warm outside. Like there are things that we have been afforded, especially in uh, this great country of ours that we have been given that you take for granted. I get into my car and I push a button and Aubrey – you can listen to forties music while I can listen to sports talk or I can listen to nineties <laughs> music while you listen to Christian music. Like we can listen to stuff by pressing. Yeah. Have you ever thought about that? I can press a button in my car and all of a sudden music. Goes. If you were, if you were alive a hundred years ago, 200 years ago, first of all, you'd be like, what's a car? But then you sat down <laughs> and I pressed a button and music just came on. You'd be like, this is the strangest thing ever. You away. So, but we take these things for granted.
2: Yeah, we take these things for granted. I do think this goes back to a guest we've had on the show before, Christy Nelson, who's executive director of a network for gratefulness. And she has a book called Wake Up Grateful, the transformative practice of taking nothing for granted Mm -hmm. that this I mean, you know, we're practicing thankfulness and we're talking about these things because it is Thanksgiving, but ultimately to have a life that is one filled with gratitude where we begin to appreciate both the small blessings and the big blessings in our lives, it really reframes our whole perspective, doesn't it? I think it changes our mood. There's research that shows it actually improves our health. And also, at the end of the day, it moves us to worship, right? Mm. Because then we go, God, oh, you're so good. I miss the good things you're doing in my life all of the time.
1: Yeah, but what's easier is to complain and oh, totally this is not to demean or downplay the amount of things that some of you have really hard things going on in your life and they yeah, are complainable yeah. right like they're not absolutely against complaining but if that's the only river that we swim in mm. uh if that's all that we are about then are we're gonna be just dark we're gonna be um we're just gonna have a negative outlook on everything like gratitude yeah. kind of like washes away some of that stuff like Even I, that's why when we had Christy Nelson on and she's like, even in the midst of stage four cancer, I had to think what are the things that I have to be thankful for? Uh, And it doesn't require stage four cancer, right? Like in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of things still not being right in the midst of all these other things, what can I look at in my life and go, yeah, but that, yeah, Mm. but that, And, Mm. and just turn my, my attitude towards Thanksgiving and gratitude Uh, And allow that doesn't mean all the other problems go away, and I have to pretend they're not hard. That's not what anybody's saying. Yeah, but it's just a way of going, okay. I can um, have a different attitude here, and so that's what I'm thankful for. Like the ability that we have things that we can look at and go, okay. Mm. While this is this and this is bad, I can I can look to this and be thankful.
2: Mm, That's good. Even the ability to be thankful is something we can be thankful about Mm -hmm. this holiday season. I love that word, Brian. Thanks for that. Well, we will be back tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian From I'm Aubrey Sampson. And you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.